Welcome to the Arbitration Conversation with Amy Schmitz. Hello, and welcome to the Arbitration Conversation. So in this Arbitration Conversation, we're talking with George Friedman. George Friedman, he's the owner and editor-in-chief of the weekly online Securities Arbitration Alert and an ADR consultant. He retired in 2013 as FINRA's Executive Vice President and Director of Arbitration. He had held that position since 1998. He also serves as non-executive chairman of the Board of Directors of Arbitration Resolution Services. He's had a very extensive career with the American Arbitration Association and with FINRA, and most recently as Senior Vice President from 1994 to 1998 with the American Arbitration Association. He's also taught law at Fordham Law School, and he's a member of the AAA's national roster of arbitrators. Also, on a personal note, I should say, I follow his blog, and it's incredibly helpful and informative. And whenever I want to learn what's happening in arbitration law, I look to George. So, George, thank you for coming. Thank you to talk with us about a very important topic today. You're welcome. So, number one, we're going to be talking about FS Sasha. You might be wondering, what is FSASHA? Do we all know what FSASHA is? Well, in fact, um, we do. It's the Ending Forced Arbitration of Sexual Assault and Sexual Harassment Act. And the acronym is now FSASHA. So it's beginning to take hold. And my students tell me that it's uh, gained traction. Um, but what is that law? Um, what's it all about, George? Okay. This is a new law that passed on May 3rd, March 3rd. Um, it passed the House by a huge nonpartisan, bipartisan vote of 335 to 97, voice vote in the Senate. It's unusual. Um, although one historical fact, the Federal Arbitration Act in 1925 passed both houses unanimously. So I guess that's the uh, standard. In any event, the president uh, signed the bill uh, about a month later, world events interceded in U Ukraine, but it was signed into law on March 3rd at a ceremony at the White House. Um, there was no mystery or about his signing. The administration had issued a statement in early February supporting the bill. So uh, it was introduced in the House uh, in July, bipartisan uh, co-sponsors in both the House and the Senate, again, unusual. Um, you like to know what it does? <laughs> yeah, that would be, but it is unusual. I would agree with that most definitely. Yeah. What's... And yeah, you know, my calls on what the Supreme Court or Congress will do are often wrong. Um, but this one you can see coming a, a long way off. Uh, it, as I'm going to mention later, it cut across party lines. The issue uh, was so deep and resonated so much on both sides. Uh, there, there was no question in my mind it was going to pass, and, and it did. Now, it is now law. It was effective immediately upon signing. So as of March 3rd, it's effective. So what does it do? Well, at a high level, level, it amends the Federal Arbitration Act. The reason I point that out, there are tons of bills that have been introdu introduced over the years to regulate mandatory or forced arbitration some attempt to amend the Federal Arbitration Act, some attempt to amend other statutes, federal statutes, some attempt both. Uh, this one right for the uh, core issue of amending the Federal Arbitration Act, and it adds a new chapter 
uh, for disputes involving sexual harassment and assault. Uh, what it is, is though. Yeah, that's really interesting, though, just sort of stopping and pausing for a moment on that aspect, because, you know, I hadn't really thought about that, but you're absolutely right. There's different laws that, for example, dealt with mortgages or deal with particular areas, but that this just goes right to the Federal Arbitration Act is really pretty different from the grand scheme of things. It is. And normally that approach, in my opinion, is doomed to, to failure is when we get to predictions, which I know are being recorded. So at some point in the future, uh, it'll point out how wrong I was. But, but uh, trying to amend the Federal Arbitration Act is a stretch uh, because it, it applies so broadly. And several of the bills instead attempt to amend a particular competing federal statute. Why? Because the Supreme Court several times has said, well, there's a if there's a conflict between the Federal Arbitration Act, I'll call it the FAA, Sonas Flashes Office Sasha, but there's a contract conflict between the FAA and another federal statute. If that statute expressly bars arbitration, it, it rules the day. So as you mentioned, Dodd Frank says no uh, arbitration, pre-dispute mandatory arbitration. Uh, of mortgage uh, disputes. So that governs and trumps the FAA, which I think is actually a better approach uh, in terms of getting bipartisan support, but I digress. So um, what does it do? Well, let me tell you what it does not do because uh, you know, my wife will back, back me up on this and I frequently yell at the computer or the TV when the media gets things wrong. Um, it does not ban pre-dispute arbitration agreements for employment in general, uh, or discrimination in general, or, or even sexual harassment or assault. Uh, although I've heard it said it does not do that. What it does is make the arbitration agreement voidable at the option of the employee or class rep. So it basically says uh, that where sexual harassment uh, and or assault is involved, the uh, victim uh, can uh, revoke the arbitration agreement, as well as a class action waiver. Uh, a common thread between all of these proposed laws, three things, making some attempt to regulate arbitration, number one, banning class action waivers, number two, and then to some extent, trying retroactive application. Uh, it comes up over and over again. So in any event, point one, is that at the option of the employee, uh, the arbitration clause or class action waiver can be revoked. Uh, by the way, there's a PowerPoint that I will uh, be available after uh, this podcast is concluded, that, that chapter and verse, but trust me, that's what it says. Uh, just quickly, the other major point uh, is delegation. So, the court has made clear, Supreme Court, that uh, if a, an arbitration agreement delegates what's called arbitrability, in other words, whether something is subject to arbitration, uh, it goes to the court unless there's a clear and unmistakable delegation to an arbitrator. Well, the law says, uh, very nice, nice try, but no. Um, really, irrespective of whether there's such a clause, uh, the arbitrability is determined by a court. Uh, with or without a delegation provision. Also big and the third, uh, which you know, in my mind may create some issues later, uh, it's, as I said, it was effective March 3rd immediately. Uh, so 
Yeah, I remember a little bit about constitutional law, the takings clause. You know, the Supreme Court has said the arbitration agreement is a separate contract. So I, I'm not sure if there are going to be challenges asserted later that, uh, that Congress has retroactively invalidated a contract right. We'll see. But uh, those are the big three. Yeah, those are big, though. I mean, they're very big. And actually, it's interesting that same thread, um, especially about class actions and delegation that tend to be somewhat controversial, I would imagine. Yeah, yes. And I, I think whoever wrote this on staff did their homework because they knew the arbitration related decisions coming out of the Supreme Court said, well, let's deal with that. Let's deal with delegation by putting in this provision. Uh, let's make sure there's no question about a conflict between a competing federal statute. Let's just amend the Federal Ar Arbitration Act. So uh, they did the homework. I, you know, as regards retroactivity, we'll see. Yeah, so, it is funny though. I picture one of your students was, you know, maybe working for somebody <laughs> and knew all these things about delegation and knew the law most definitely, which is really interesting because I don't think that's true of other laws that have been proposed. No, it is not. It was very carefully uh, written. So you asked about you know, potential impacts. Uh, one, two major things pop out one, that FINRA won my alma mater and AAA two my alma mater or really any ADR provider is gonna have to deal with uh, two things that jump out are opting out and intertwining. So I'm sure you're gonna ask me, what, what do you mean? Yep, that was my next question. So, okay, well, this, the law gives, again, you know, the individual the right to say, you know, I'm, I'm done with this arbitration clause or class action waiver. Well, you know, how's it gonna work exactly? And procedures will be needed. I'm a procedures guy, but they really have, yeah, that has to be, worked out. FINRA has some models. Uh, you know, they have a class, their rule on class actions says the investor can opt out. Arbitration clause or not, they can opt out and participate in a class action. Uh, so there were rules to do that, but it's got to be a procedure to cover how it works, timing. I'm going to mention some potential problems. Uh, also, they have a rule uh, where a customer files a claim against a defunct non-participating firm, again, the, the investor can say, you know what, I'm done with arbitration and, and the rules allow them to opt out and set up a procedure for doing that. Um, now intertwining is to me the more complicated uh, issue uh, and it raises a bunch of questions, but you know, again, the law permits the individual to opt out of the class action waiver or arbitration agreement. When, you know, at what point, for example, um, you know, how does the time, what, what is the formality? What if the individual filed a case and the, uh, the victim filed a case uh, and then later wants to change their mind? Can they do that? You, you know, in my arbitration class at Fordham, I talk about common law arbitration, which, is very old and dusty, but one of the uh, provisions at common law, which was not terribly friendly to arbitration was the arbitration agreement could be revoked at any point right. until a decision. So- Ostrom 
Oster and revocability doctrine. You got to love that. <laughs> so, so again, what's the timing on that? How's that? How does that work? You know, can the individual at the end say, you know, this arbitration has not gone very well. I think I'm opting out now uh, because it's going to be decided tomorrow. Um, I'm not not sure, you know, how that's going to going to work. Um, the what if some what happens about the claims that are not covered by the law, you know, a run-of-the-mill employment claim or even discrimination claim that's not sexual harassment. Do those proceed in arbitration? The others go to court. Uh, should there be a rule as Finner has in some areas where the defendant can say, you know what, if they want to litigate, then fine, we can do it all in court. So it does, you know, let's just, I want to back up a little bit here though, because sure. we're talking about, you know, there are different things, the intertwining and the opting out and when you opt out. And I wonder how the opting out and when you can opt out coincides with waiver, because that question of waiver, of course, recently was in the U.S. Supreme Court. They had arguments recently. And um, wouldn't it be true that if you go down the route of arbitration for too significant of a time, you would actually waive your right. Well, by the way, I'm going going on record is not predicting what the court's going to do there. I mean, I listened to those arguments, and I have no idea. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a wave, clear waiver uh, issue in my mind. Also, Miranda comes to mind. I'm sure there's head scratching going on. Um, like, wait, this isn't criminal law. <laughs> well, what what if? For example, the victim says, you know, I'm going to file an arbitration anyway. Okay. Um, and now that probably would comport with the law because, you know, after the dispute arose, the individual said, no, I'm, I'm okay with this arbitration agreement. Well, does the ADO provider have to give him a Miranda warning? Like, hey, before you file this, you know, you should know that this uh, can be used against you if you try to opt out later, uh, you know. Uh, right. I mean, again, you know, I have not outgrown my uh, uh, habits as an administrator. So when I look at these things, uh, the law, for example, uh, you know, a dozen questions will pop out into my head about, well, how are we going to do this? How well, going back to your, yeah, I mean, go back to your question. As you're saying this, I'm thinking about out loud here um, on the cuff. Um, I'm thinking about, you know, if you're AAA, if you're FINRA, and you're worried that an employee is going to back out later, wouldn't you have them sign some sort of agreement that they're okay with proceeding with arbitration and that they're waiving any well, statutory yeah, yes. rights? I mean, FINRA, FINRA's form, uh, it's called the submission agreement. Um, I'm sure that's going to change these claims to, to mm -hmm. say, you know, by doing this, you know, you're consenting. I mean, I, I, in accordance with uh, Sasha. Uh, I think so. Now, you're raising a good point. So in one of my blog posts, I said, you know, these ADR providers really need to get on the uh, stick here and get moving um, because this law is effective now. So mm -hmm. the FINRA board evidently read my blog post because they met on March 9th and 10th, um, covering a host of issues. But one, one of the agenda items added literally at the last minute, I, I think I didn't see it on the initial agenda, what was, uh, was, was this question. Um, and the results are posted, but they, they don't give a tremendous 
uh, a man of insight, but it's uh, I can read this. Uh, the board approved the submission to the SEC of proposed amendments to align FINRA's rules with the ending forced arbitration, et cetera, Act of 21. Uh, there's a video, uh, very short, says the same thing. That doesn't say how, but trust me, I, I know many of the folks who were there who I work with before I, I left uh, some time ago. Uh, I'm sure they brainstormed and thought of all these scenarios. So the next step, when I was at AAA, they could just amend the rules. It was easy. Uh, FINRA has to go through a process uh, under Section 19B of the Act, Securities Act. Uh, so they'll have to actually do a public rule filing with the commission, which will then seek comments. That has not happened yet. But the mm -hmm. board basically said to the staff, go forth and write a rule and send it off to the SEC. So um, they're thinking about it. And I'm sure uh, AAA and James and others are as well. Oh, absolutely. Well, and now I want to talk a little bit more about um, what happens when you have, like you said, you teed up the question, and I think it's a really good one. What happens when you have a, all different employment claims? It just so happens that one of them was sexual harassment, but there's a breach of contract. There's you know, many other sort of claims all in one case or controversy. Now, are we gonna to have to split the claim? So if some of it goes to litigation, some of it goes to arbitration. And if it does, if that does happen, um, does claim preclusion or issue preclusion apply? What sort of preclusive effect will determinations have when you have, for example, let's say the arbitration goes forth more quickly than litigation, does that mean that issue preclusion could come into play? I mean, I think it'll raise intertwining could become very complicated. I, I've reached a stage in my life where I'm comfortable saying, I don't know. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know. I, I do know this. I think it will can be resolved. These questions can be answered one of two major ways. Uh, one is years of litigation. That's not a good idea. Um, the second more immediate way, putting aside an amendment to the act, which is another question. The second major way, I think the ADR providers need to lead the way. Um, and it looks to me like FINRA is already on this. Uh, you know, so you're raising good questions, Amy, like what's the sequencing? Is there preclusion to uh, the sexual harassment cases go first in court. I mean, these nuts and bolts questions have to be answered. And, you know, one short story to, to kind of illustrate this, um, you know, back in 91, when the Gilmer case was decided that allowed uh, statutory uh, discrimination arbitration to go forward in the employment area, one of the uh, indicia uh, mentioned by the court. Now they said, well, you know, show like Congress uh, was not against arbitration. Um, and then at the end, make sure you, the same relief is general, generally available. Uh, in the middle, the middle prong was the process is fair. The arbitration process is fair. So uh, one way to deal with that would be years of litigation to say, well, this one's fair, this one's not fair. Uh, there were a bunch of folks who got together at AAA, the ABA, employment lawyers, 
uh, got together and did a due process protocol on fairness in employment arbitration. So that's an example uh, of the ADR providers leading with this a bit of a vacuum. And I think that's going to happen here. Yeah, that's a, I hope so. It's funny. I just taught that entire sequencing about the due process protocols last week. <laughs> and we talked about, um, do you remember the cold case delineating? Oh, yes. Yes, uh, delineating what needs to happen for a fair arbitration. I think the quote there was about arbitrators being paid, labor arbitrators. And I think the quote was, uh, I used to be an arbitrator as Judge Edwards, I think. <laughs> yes. And and, uh, you know, in terms of who pays and whether it's unfair if it's paid mostly by the employer, arbitrators like to get paid. They don't care who pays. <laughs> exactly. Very oh, good point. Yeah. You know, those, I think that's really astute, though. I agree with that. It'd be nice if, you know, they have some sort of a protocol or get out in front of it. You know, but then it leads me to the next question, um, which, of course, there's been a lot of media around maybe other bills coming down the pipeline, right? So maybe, for example, FSASHA does not cover discrimination. Do we need a bill that covers discrimination claims or how broadly? Maybe we go all the way to the Arbitration Fairness Act, which of course, um, the FAIR Act, which passed, um, I believe it was, it passed the House last week, I think. Yes. Well, uh, short answer as to whether there'll be Momentum, yeah, there'll be some momentum for these other bills. There over a hundred bills have been introduced in this Congress that, in some way, shape, or form, would amend the federal, as I said, the Federal Arbitration Act, other federal statutes, both to limit arbitration and class action waivers. Um, so, as to whether there'll be momentum, well, yeah, at the signing ceremony, the president and vice president said, "You know, you ain't seen nothing yet." They did not say that. But that's what they meant. Um, and uh, li listening to the uh, signing, it was great, actually. I was teaching my class while the signing ceremony took place. So we put, put it up on the monitor. Um, oh, wow. That's good timing. So we can finish up this subject or watch history being made. What do you want to do? Uh, <laughs> but because um, I think it's been years and years since the act was amended. But in any event, both the president and the vice president said, you know, there's more, more coming. Uh, and, and there has been. So just, uh, but my, my general observation, as I said in the beginning, you know, sexual harassment and assault is a deep issue. It resonates across all party lines. Um, and I, I think it's un unusual in that regard that, you know, it'll, Result in bipartisan introductions, co-sponsors, uh, voice vote. I, uh, but I think a wholesale effort to uh, gut the Federal Arbitration Act is probably not going to have the same success. So you mentioned a few of them. Um, there's a thing on March 3rd, the date you ring a bell class. That was the date the law was signed. Um, Senator Brown introduced the Arbitration Fairness for Consumers Act, for example. Mm. And again, the theme, ban arbitration, ban class action uh, waivers, um, yeah, and deal with delegation, and the big, big three. Um, that would attempt to amend Dodd-Frank to do that. Because Dodd-Frank, a little bit of review, Dodd-Frank gave the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau the authority 
to uh, limit, regulate, or ban free dispute arbitration agreements. They tried to do that. They published and got approved a rule to ban uh, class action waivers. It went into effect, it, it was effective, but not yet uh, compliant. In other words, it went into effect, right. compliance is not yet due. Congress exercising uh, its authority under the Congressional Review Act in 17, bear in mind. Oh, I know. <laughs> Congress and president uh, revoked the regulation. But th this is a, a bit different. This would have been Dodd-Frank to outright ban arbitration right. and consumer financial. I don't think it covered securities because a different section of Dodd-Frank exactly. cover, covers that. But, um, you know. But also that was more narrow. So I remember very well when the CFPB put forth the rule and um, it was more narrow because it was really aimed at protecting class actions. Right, there's another one where the meeting, I, I end up muttering at the uh, computer screen because they said, well, you know, they uh, had a rule banning free dispute arbitration. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, me uh, too. But uh, so that, that's, you know, one one effort. Um, I do, do I think it's gonna pa pass? No, I think getting 10 Republicans to be able to break a filibuster is going to be a hard stretch for most of these. You mentioned the FAIR Act. Um, now a little bit of history, something like it, used to be called the Arbitration Fairness Act, has been introduced going back years. Right. Uh, and think, think about this, even when the Democrats had the House and the Senate and the White House in 2009, and Barney Frank chaired the Financial Services Committee in the House um, didn't go anywhere. Yeah, you're, you're correct. In the last Congress, the Fair Act passed. It's called Forced Arbitration and Justice Repeal. Passed the House, died in the Senate. Well, I was yep. a Republican Senate. Okay, well now it passed this House um, a week or so ago. Party line vote. I think one Republican crossed over. Um, I don't think it'll get through the Senate. Why? It would, in my view, it would ban arbitration agreements for anything that's pretty much not a business to business or union management. So, you know, a wide range, customers and brokers, um, digital technology, civil rights, um, sexual harassment. Uh, one of my students said, well, what's the difference? Is it because the uh, AFASHA uh, does not ban arbitration agreements. Again, it makes them revocable. This would ban them out outright. So I, I just think based on comments I've heard at hearings over the uh, months and years, I don't see 10 uh, GOP members crossing over. Yeah, I don't either. I had a student ask me, what do you think the chances are? And same, I mean, number one, I've kept a chart because I'm a nerd and I like keeping charts. So I've followed these acts year after year after year. And when they're so overbroad, you know, I don't even think it's wise because you're not really looking at it in context and thinking about the particular situation. And there's a very big difference between banning something and making it revocable. Um, because choice, I'm a contracts professor. So of course, I think having choice is really important. And so, um, you know, I think some of these overbroad acts 
um, they run into a lot of different different problems, you know, is my, at least the way I've looked at it over time. Um, but it is interesting. What about the Investor Choice Act? Well, that one I think, is, by the way, the FAIR Act has been stuck at 39 uh, co-sponsors, all Democrats in the Senate for months. Uh, I thought perhaps it would, you know, there'd be more co-sponsors after uh, the law was passed. Nope. Um, nope. <laughs> so the investor choice has been around for a while. Remember I said, I'm not, I'm not sure the other bill covered securities. This would uh, cover it. It, pa it passed the uh, Financial Services Committee in the House last November, I think right before Thanksgiving. Party line vote again. And uh, this would amend, this is one of those that would have the kitchen sink, it would amend the FAA and the Securities Act of 34 and the Investment Advisor Act of 40 uh, to ban mandatory pre-dispute arbitration agreements, basically between investors and financial services pros. Uh, also would ban class action waivers. Um, so uh, up to recently, my thought was, yeah, it's like all the others not going going to go anywhere, at least in the Senate. I'm not so sure. Would you hmm. like to know why? Yeah, because that's really interesting. I wouldn't have expected that, especially considering how FINRA has been pretty much very good at regulating um, securities arbitration. So yeah, I am curious. Well, uh, and again, you know, it would ban our mandatory arbitration agreement, deal with delegation, deal with class action waivers. Um, but there's another provision that would uh, give choice, if you, I think is they give the customer a choice of arbitration forum. So why is that important? Uh, FINRA has been in the news, not in a good way. Uh, right. <laughs> last couple of months, a uh, judge in Georgia in vacating an arbitration award uh, accused the organization of helping rig the arbitrator's selection process. Uh, time doesn't permit a long explanation, but uh, the FINRA computer system generates random lists of arbitrators. But obviously, if you control the names going into the system, uh, that can influence the way panels are uh, proposed, arbitration panels are compiled. There's a list selection process at FINRA. So a, a uh, state court judge, said Finner was essentially in cahoots with the attorney for the brokerage firm. Finner denies it, the firm denies it. Um, all kind of, you know, Congress uh, is at, some members of Congress led by Senator Warren has demanded explanations. Uh, Finner has brought in uh, an outside law firm to con conduct an independent review. But, it, you know, uh, as uh, it's not good. Not good PR. So I think there's room here for potential compromise on the Investor Choice Act, not banning arbitration, but I think there might be a compromise saying, you know, this investor choice of arbitration forum, um, you know, that's, a, that's not a bad idea. Like, let's, yeah. you know, FINRA's got a monopoly. Uh, let's, I'm not advocating this because, you know, my pension's gone. I have no stake in FINRA, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, but, you know, there may be some traction for a bipartisan effort to say, well, let's at least amend the law to give the investor a choice of arbitration forum. 
Right. Uh, well, and that would comport with what I said earlier. I mean, in terms of choice, right? It's that idea that you get option. Um, so in fact, I wonder what you think about this, but I would guess that there's plenty of investors that would still want to go to arbitration. Yeah, and they would probably still want to go to FINRA. There was a pilot done 20 years ago, I think it was, uh, conducted by the Securities Industry Conference on Arbitration. Long story short, several firms agreed uh, to randomly uh, give investors a choice of forum. I think it was either AAA or JAMS. Um, went on for a couple of years. Um, there weren't many takers. In, in other words, most, they could not that of arbitration, but they could, the investor could choose the forum. Uh, but the reason by and large, and investors and their counsel were polled about you know, the choice, their choices. They said, well, we're more familiar with FINRA and it's cheaper, it's less expensive, which is true. The fee structure at FINRA uh, puts most of the cost on the uh, industry party of parties. So, uh, you know, that, that would be a factor. But again, you know, people get to make choices and they weigh these factors. So um, anyway, I think there may be a shot uh, there. Also, uh, just to close on this topic of choice, uh, again, I mentioned Dodd-Frank gives the SEC authority to get rid of mandatory arbitration, set conditions or limita limitations. They've done nothing since uh, Dodd-Frank was enacted, I think in 2011, thereabouts. Uh, they've collected comments, but otherwise done nothing. I think there'll be some pressure now for them to take a look at this as well. Right. Um, I don't think they're gonna ban arbitration. Um, one of my students says, well, why not? And my answer is the SEC has been oversighting FINRA since 1975. Okay? Right. They approve the rules, they approve changes. Uh, they examine, they do reviews, they do audits. So banning arbitration would require the SEC to say, you know what, after all these years, uh, we've just concluded arbitration is bad for investors, uh, which is what Dodd-Frank would require. So they're not going to do right. that. No, some, no, some good point. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Well, and I did see that there have been hearings um, about arbitration as well. Um, not just in that committee, but I, I know with employment and I wonder, you know, if that will have any impact or if it's just sort of, you know, addressing on the windows, right? Or is it anything that means that they are moving in the direction of actually making some legal changes? Well, there will be votes. There's no question there will be votes in the House on some of these bills. Um, the, uh, again, I, I think they're going to go to the Senate and die with some extension, exceptions. I mentioned investor choice. Right. There are also bills to protect service members. Uh, right. You know, again, that, that cuts across uh, all lines. You know, it's yep. be hard, hard pressed for someone to get up on the floor of uh, House or Senate and say, you know, I'm against protecting people serving in the armed forces. Right. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. And those limited exceptions, maybe. Yeah, Maybe. good point, though. Yeah, I, absolutely true. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the coming months um, and years on arbitration and certainly how they're going to deal with all the questions on FSASHA and whether or not they decide to keep calling it FSASHA. <laughs> they might come up with a better acronym as well. Who knows? Yeah, I couldn't do it. I keep calling it the new law. 
<laughs> yeah, I know. That's the funny part was, well, you know, the new law. Well, there's a lot of new laws in a lot of different areas. So, you know, it's it's a little bit comical. But um, George, thank you. Thanks for taking so much time with us. Um, I know I learned a lot. I'm sure our listeners have learned a great deal. And um, I just really appreciate your taking the time and lots to think about. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by Arbitrate.com. For more information about Arbitrate.com's programs and content, please visit our website at www.arbitrate.com.